All right, well, let's go ahead and get started. And hi, well, this is Raymond Snyder, and welcome to this edition of Turf Dudes Podcast. And I'm a director of agronomy at Harold's, and I'm joined by another director of agronomy at Harold's, Jeff Atkinson, Dr. Jeff Atkinson. Hello. And I'm also joined by uh, director of sales for Florida, Jason Frank. Hello. And with us today, we have Dr. Billy Crow, nematologist at the University of Florida. Hello. All right. And and the topic on this episode of Turf Dudes Podcast is, as you might guess, is nematodes. And so let's just uh, go ahead and, and jump right into it and and let's uh, get some of Dr. Crow's observations and knowledge and see if we can help our uh, listeners uh, develop management plans and tools and techniques to better deal with plant parasitic nematodes. How's that sound, guys? All right. All right, well, let's go ahead and start with a question that might be on the, the top of all of our turf managers list is, of all the nematode species, uh, which, which nematodes are of the highest priority in terms of reducing their counts and controlling them in order to maintain, uh, you know, uh, good putting conditions and high quality turf, Dr. Crow? Well, of course, you to some degree, that's going to be where you're at. But uh, in general, you know, if you're in areas where sting nematode is, that's going to be the most damaging of these nematodes. Then uh, root knot nematodes are a big problem, an increasing problem, especially on ultra-dwarf Bermuda grasses. Again, more of a, a southern issue. They can also be problems up north as well. Uh, they have different species, though, than the ones we have down south, and so uh, they may behave a little bit differently than the ones I work with. But uh, definitely root on nematodes can damage you know, bent grasses and things as well. Then lance nematodes are uh, becoming an increasingly big problem uh, because uh, we don't have good management tools uh, for that nematode or those nematodes or several species that attack turf grasses. But the uh, lance nematodes uh, don't respond real well to our current uh, slate of uh, nematode control products. And so as we're controlling other nematodes, it's kind of leaving that one behind, so it's becoming a bigger problem. Then locally, you know, you have some places like in California, there they have, you know, the uh, Anguina pacifici, which is a, a crown-feeding nematode. And, and uh, up, up north, you'll get some problems with stunt nematodes and things. But uh, so some depends upon where you're at in the country, which nematodes are a bigger problem. So you noted sting nematode first. Why, why would you consider that? probably the the nematode of highest priority, especially for those of us in the southeast and, and those types of areas? Well, uh, sting nematode is far and away the most directly damaging nematode you can have on turf grasses, as well as lots of other plants as well. I mean, that nematode's a problem on strawberries and citrus and, and cotton and in potatoes and just about anything else you want to grow as well. But uh, it's a big problem on turf grasses. Uh, decimates a root system and uh, it's a nematode that will kill grass. I mean you get a, a high infestation of, of sting nematodes and you can completely destroy uh, not only uh, putting greens but also teas and fairways and you can have damage on roughs and if you're in sandy areas. Uh, that nematode is uh, uh, becoming a problem in some new areas. Uh, we're seeing it now popping up in 
places like Kansas and Missouri and uh, some places where it hasn't been a problem in the past. Uh, of course, there's some, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a classic quarantine pest in California, but there are some golf courses in California that have uh, sting nematode as well. And so it's kind of moved outside of its uh, normal you know, so you know, southeastern uh, region and kind of uh, moving uh, moving out of that into some new new areas where it's causing problems as well. So, so sting nematode just absolutely decimates the root system, and and in terms of damage to the roots, then you you follow that up with root knot and and lance. And so, what is their what is their impact on the roots system of turf grass? Okay, so. Uh, like I said, well, sting nematodes is going to decimate a root system. And then root knot nematodes, again, you can have some differences uh, depending upon uh, which species you have and what type of grass you have. But the ones that we have uh, here in Florida primarily is this uh, uh, graminus, the grass root knot nematode. And uh, it uh, will, it, it infects the roots and causes Small galls, which you may not really see unless you're looking really close. It's not big galls like you see on tomatoes or cotton or something. But then uh, the root will rot off below those galls. And so uh, over time, uh, you'll end up with a just extremely shallow root system. Uh, and so uh, you'll find most of your roots actually just growing up in the thatch and things. Uh, and hardly any of it going down into the soil at all. And um, then the... Uh, Grass will uh, can come up with, uh, uh, well, especially on ultradwarf Bermudas and also on bent grass, you can get these yellow blotches uh, that show up, which is not a, something that uh, we used to associate really with nematode problems, but now we've found to be a, a, a primary symptom. And uh, then you can also have a normal decline uh, as the grass gets severely damaged. You'll you know start uh, you know, declining. You get bare areas and and looking really bad. So depending on the level of infestation and the uh, type of grass you have, the symptoms can vary some. But we tend to, do tend to see that a yellow blotchy symptom more common. On ultra dwarf muter grasses than we used to see on uh, a tiff dwarf, for example, where you get more just of a general decline type symptom. And some on occasion, we'll we'll get samples that don't have a a, a high population of sting, um, and that there is some root length there, but the roots look a little bit just necrotic, potentially not functioning really well. And, and in those cases, sometimes we'll get back counts of high lance. And mm. is, is that potentially a symptom of lance? And what is lance doing in that, that root that is impacting the function of that turf grass? Okay, uh, again, lance nematodes uh, are well, first of all, they're very widely distributed. You, the, the problems, there are problems in the Florida Keys. You could have a problem with them up in uh, New England. Even in Canada, they have uh, you know, lance nematodes. And in East Coast to West Coast, you can find these nematodes everywhere. So they're not as uh, uh, restricted to, uh, like with sting nematode, you really have to have sandy soils. This nematode is more widely distributed and not as limited to soil type. Uh, now, there are 
again, multiple species of lance nematodes that attack turf grasses. So, uh, yeah, so lance nematodes, uh, they tend to uh, go in and out of a root system all the time. And they'll go inside, tunnel around, tunnel back out. And so they're kind of making Swiss cheese of your root system all the time. And then uh, fungal pathogens will get in and cause a lot of rotting that goes on. So a lot of that root necrosis, like you're talking about, uh, is associated with lance nematodes. But really, it's indistinguishable from a lot of fungal root pathogens. And a lot of times, they're in conjunction together. Uh, and so uh, we're finding uh, in the uh, some studies we were doing here in Florida currently, we have a a uh, big uh, experiment that's uh, funded by the GCSAA as well as the Florida Golf Course Superintendents uh, looking at lance nematodes. And uh, we're finding that sometimes of the year uh, there's a predominance of them inside the roots and at other times of the year the predominance, predominance of them outside the roots. And so uh, they're kind of in and out uh, all the time. Hey, I just have one, before we go on that one, I just have one question. You mentioned that the sting in particular being uh, very active in sandier soils as we go to the northern areas you mentioned that stunt becomes more of a problem in the mm-hmm. northern regions would you expect for nematode infestations to really only be found on usga sand-based greens or areas that we have sandy soils let's say like a, a michigan for say uh or would different species be more widespread in, in northern regions than what you typically find in the south well, some of all that. Okay, so for example, uh, like the stunt nematodes we have in Florida on turf grasses are different species than the ones they have up north. Even though they're stunt right. nematodes, different species and behave differently. We've uh, done a lot of work here in the southeast on sting nematode, particularly here at Florida. So we know a lot about this nematode and it's uh, that particular species and how it behaves, which is in, in uh, the U.S., uh, Bolonolimus longicaudatus. Mm-hmm. Is really the one that caused the problem on turf grasses. I, I will say that we were in the process of working on a potentially uh, having a new species. When I say new, it's not new, but a newly described one. I think we're going to we're finding uh, some uh, differences in the nematode, the sting nematodes in South Florida versus anywhere else uh, that we even in North Florida and in. South Carolina and Texas, all those kind of grouped together in one group, and the ones in South Florida are different groups. So we're we may end up adding another species here. We're kind of working on that right now, but uh, but we know this nematode really needs sandy soils. Uh, some nematodes prefer a little heavier soils, and for most of these turf grass nematodes, uh, that soil type habitat, especially as you get further north where nematodes historically have been less of a problem on turf grasses, is not mm-hmm. as well known because uh, for uh, just because of the sheer amount of damage we have in the southeast with these nematodes, we've done a lot more work. I mean, most of this right. work's been done in the southeast on these nematodes. But uh, but yeah, as you, though, though as you get out of uh, the sandy coastal plains, uh, you know, Florida, the sandy areas in coastal North and South Carolina, and then along the Gulf Coast and Southern, you know, Alabama and Louisiana and coastal Texas. Once you get outside of that, you know, generally nematodes are only going to be a problem on putting greens in most cases. But in these sandy areas, you, again, you can also have problems on, uh, you know, uh, fairways and tees and lawns and everything else. Gotcha. So bottom line, it's just important to kind of know what you're working with. And that can help you identify maybe where the pest may or may not be, or if you're looking at right. nematodes or, or something different. 
in 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 USGA spec putting greens are ideal habitat for sting nematode, and uh, that that's one thing as we found is that uh, if you get any sting nematodes in a USGA spec putting green, they'll do very be very happy in Kansas and in in Texas and in areas where uh, the soil native soil is heavy and that normal nematode normally wouldn't be found. Yeah. But uh, you get it in a USGA spec green and it it's very happy. So. Yeah, that's good. That's good information because I know as we go into the north, we're starting to see more reports of nematodes, but also at the same time, I think we're still trying to learn, you know, what are we actually looking for as well. Right, right. So now that we've kind of established the uh, three main categories or three main types of nematodes, um, kind of how they react uh, to turf, different uh, environments within turf grass systems and, you know, attack which ones. Um, kind of the next question is the seasonality of some of these species. So, you know, when is the most damaging time for sting, lance, um, and root knot kind of throughout the year? Um, probably mainly to kind of address, you know, control um, products to, when to best apply these control products to counteract, um, you know, kind of what we're seeing on some of these nematodes. And I specifically remember a conversation that um, Dr. Crow, Raymond, and myself had recently on timing of when you see lance specifically outside the roots and mm -hmm. potentially if we had a control product to um, counteract them at that time, you know, that that's when that would be most effective. And I believe that you said, you know, late spring, early summer. So, um, you know, that type of thinking to help turf managers understand, you know, again, the seasonality and, and when they should um, be best looking to apply some of these control products um, just based on you know, when the optimum timing is um, on when these nematodes are most prevalent. Okay. So, uh, again, I'm going to talk about these three primary nematodes uh, that I work with, okay, being your sting nematode and then uh, this, uh, your tr the grass root knot nematode and lance nematodes. So, sting nematodes, we've, again, I mean, I spent my whole life, I hope not my whole life, but my whole uh, professional life uh, working with sting nematode. Uh, you know, I did my PhD uh, project working with sting nematode, and it's uh, my lifelong passion is sting nematode. So, but it, uh, so I've worked with it a lot. I know a lot more about that than any other nematode. And it, it uh, does a lot of uh, vertical movement. Uh, so it sometimes in the year it moves up uh, uh, higher up in the soil profile. And other times of the year, it'll move down deeper. So uh, what we have found uh, here in Florida, and this is also uh, mirrored by uh, work that's been done by Jim Kern's uh, people there in, in uh, North Carolina as well, is that uh, sting nematode tends to move uh, up uh, shallower in the soil profile during the cooler months. And then in the heat of summer, it'll move deeper in the soil profile. So... Uh, now, if you're wanting to, uh, I said the best nematicide in the world only works if it comes in contact with the nematode. And so uh, most of our current slate of nematicides have limited soil mobility. And so uh, they generally don't, aren't going to get very deep in the soil. So these products are going to work best when that nematode's up in that shallower portion of the soil profile, which will be in your cooler months. And so... Uh, uh, with, with these uh, uh, products like, you know, abamectin, which is in Divinilm and, and some generic abamectin formulations as well, it is 
super immobile. I mean, if I would call it completely Im- immobile, like it just doesn't move very much. Okay. Uh, indemnify uh, the activist fluopyram. It's more mobile than abamectin, but it's still not very mobile. It has pretty poor mobility as well. And so, uh, both of these products are going to work best uh, on sting nematode when they're applied uh, when this nematode's up uh, higher than the soil profile. And even uh, in Florida, where we, we're still using curfew, a curfew works best uh, when applied in the spring or the fall when that nematode is up high as well. So uh, the least effective time to apply nematocytes for sting nematode would be like July, August, we find that nematode gas goes down deeper in the soil. So that's why uh, fall and spring applications for sting nematode and work the best. And depending upon where you are, uh, you know, the timing will be a little bit different than South Florida than in Georgia, for example. So, but generally that spring, fall uh, time frame. Now, uh, root knot nematodes, they uh, tend to be, uh, the, the hotter it is, the more active that nematode is, and it tends to stay up in the extreme upper portion of the soil profile. So for root knot nematodes, uh, in most cases, your best time to apply uh, treatments for root knot nematodes are going to be during the warmer months. So generally like May, June, July, August, that the applications during that time frame in most places. So it's kind of the flip of if you're trying to control sting nematode. Now with the lance nematodes, so what we're finding is, uh, like I was saying, they, they tend, we're finding some seasonality is when they're more out in the soil versus when they're more out, uh, when they're in, inside the roots. Okay, so none of our you know, nematicides, uh, turf nematicides that we can use uh, in uh, 2020 are uh, systemic at all, okay? They're, uh, you know, they're, these are all uh, contact products and so they're only got kind of nematodes that come out in the soil. And so uh, the best time to apply these for, or have this out in the soil for control of lance nematodes is when these nematodes are outside of that, uh, that root system. So, Again, what we've found in our trials, uh, this big experiment we've got going, I was talking about this Lance nematode experiment. Uh, we've in, in the, It was a two-year experiment. We just finished the first year. So just based upon that first year, in both locations, we have a North Florida and a South Florida site. But in both locations, uh, we found uh, the majority of Lance nematodes we recovered from the soil and less of them in the roots. And then as we moved into the summer and fall, that flipped, and we had more of them inside the roots and fewer in the soil. So uh, that would tend to indicate that the best time to apply nematicides for lance nematode would be in the uh, springtime, okay, or early summer. But now, again, that was just one year, and we'll we'll keep working on that. So I don't want to, you know, Put too much on that one because we're still getting data and sometimes uh, just a one-year data can be misleading so but hopefully we'll have better recommendations on that moving forward as, as uh, this study continues hey we say that there's with diseases and with weeds that there's kind of a minimum temperature that these things become active in is it is there a similar threshold for nematodes there is uh, they have a basal temperature 
And uh, so, but it varies with the species. Uh, some nematodes are adapted to cooler conditions, some to warmer temperatures. So, uh, yeah, it's each, each nematode is going to have its own optimal temperature ranges. But for, I would say for the majority of these, uh, that uh, basal temperature, uh, as far as now soil temperatures now, not air temperatures, which can be a lot more up and down. But uh, generally, a rule of thumb, uh, that basal temperature, somewhere between 40 and 45 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, so, you know, soil temperatures. Uh, and then uh, the activity will tend to warm uh, increase as you go up. But then at some point, it'll start decreasing, too. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for sting nematode, for example, uh, once you get to soil temperatures of 85 degrees, that nematode shuts down. So mm-hmm. uh, now other nematodes like the root knot nematodes at, 80, at 85 or 95, they're still just uh, going like crazy. So yeah. uh, but that also know, fits with kind of your management recommendation of summertime, more targeting of the root knots versus stings in the fall and spring. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess that was kind of, we talked about the temperatures of when to start applications and, you know, when to kind of time applications uh, for the specific nematodes. But as far as programs go and overall management techniques, um, can you speak a little bit to what you see as being effective techniques in the field from a program management, but also from kind of cultural management as well? Okay. Well, one thing uh, when it comes to uh, programs, is uh, I think it's important to know what the nematode population composition you have you're trying to manage, okay? Uh, So if you're pretty much have sting nematodes you're trying to manage, you're going to have a different program than if you had sting nematodes and root knot nematodes. Or if you primarily had root knot nematodes you're worried about, it would be different than if you had, you follow me? So uh, I hate to give blanket, program recommendations without, I think it's specific to what uh, particular nematodes that are there at that course. And even on a single course, again, uh, you know, I see this all the time where you'll, you'll get samples coming in and one green will have high numbers of sting nematode and the other three decent samples from don't have any or, you know, and things like that. So, uh, or this one has high numbers of sting nematodes and this one over here has a whole bunch of lance and no sting. And so you got two different nematodes on two different greens, right? And so ideally you would try to manage those separately. But uh, in general, uh, for managing sting nematode, uh, <clears throat> I would say, uh, out of our current suite of, of uh, you know, nematicides, um, you know, two that are going to be probably the most uh, directly effective on sting nematodes are going to be uh, a fluopyram, which is an indemnify, and then you went through dichloropropene, which is in your curfew, which again, outside of Florida, I don't, th- I don't, I don't, is anybody using out of Florida anymore, uh, or is it just pretty much just in Florida now? Uh, but, uh, they, but they, uh, but those, but in, in curfew is really, uh, probably the most directly effective and fast acting, but no residual effect. Whereas fluopyram has a little bit more slow acting, but a longer term control. And uh, so, uh, if I was getting into, you know, uh, had a, a 
bad problem. I need to fix it right now. And I was okay with having a little bit of mechanical damage. Mm-hmm. You, I, your curfew would be, it, it's going to, is what I call a fix it treatment. Okay. I'm going to fix it. But then as a management tactic, uh, after you get past that initial crisis, uh, indemnify is going to be, uh, you know, a better, uh, thing to kind of keep those populations down and hold them down. So, um, now, if you've got root knot nematodes in the mix, uh, you know, again, uh, there I would generally look at uh, four applications during the summer months, you know, like May, June, July, August, typically in most places. Uh, sometimes it may be a little bit earlier than that or a little bit later, depending upon uh, you know, where you are. But because uh, that, again, that nematode is uh, most active during that time. And for uh, root knot nematodes, uh, my most uh, uh, I guess the uh, most effective ones that I've worked with are going to be your abamectin products, your divinilm, and then uh, your total and uh, nemamectin are the three currently out there right now. Those uh, work really good on root knot nematodes. And then also, your, again, your indemnify, your uh, fluopyram also uh, works on, on root knot nematodes. And so... Uh, if you got sting and lance nematodes, then you could do uh, like a spring, fall, spring and or fall application of indemnify and then do gabamectin during the summer months. Uh, so, uh, yeah, then with, with lance nematodes, uh, we really don't have any good management tools uh, for lance nematode uh, from you know, we have had on occasion uh, seen some benefit from uh, your uh, abamectin products. Uh, and it, it'll kill any of those nematodes that comes in contact with up in that, that top part of the soil. And so, again, you would want to apply those when those nematodes are more outside the roots, which is more the spring and early summer time frame. And uh, that uh, the new spot treatment rates uh, tend to work. Uh, you get, again, you're not getting much of it down deep, but what you're getting you know, put more out, you know, you're able to get a little bit better control. Uh, it's kind of, uh, I wouldn't say real good for lance nematodes, but it can help some. Uh, curfew, uh, I have had some response with uh, uh, early applications of, of curfew. Again, when these nematodes are more outside the roots, especially if you're, if you're uh, in the transition where you're uh, got where you're overseeding, because what will happen, those nematodes will all be inside the roots of your uh, your, your winter grass. And then when it transitions, you know, as, as, as the, the overseed is dying out, those nematodes are coming out. And then now they're out in the soil. There's not a lot of Bermuda grass roots to go into at that point. And if you can hit them right then, I've had really good responses from curfew. But uh, later in the year, I haven't seen uh, the positive responses to curfew as I do from an early uh, right when the Bermuda grass is starting to grow type uh, time frame. You've noted a couple times that the lance nematode at certain times of the year may be outside of the root in the soil solution. So which month or months early in the season might that be? And I understand that depends on where you might be in Florida and in the southeast, but what would be your range of months that they're most exposed to potential control techniques. Okay, so uh, 
again, now I don't have the complete picture on these yet. I've got some indicators, but from what uh, you know, where we've seen so far, and in Florida now, because again, this is where I'm at, so you know, all my work is here. Uh, but I have seen, uh, you know, that those uh, in in South Florida, uh, you, you know, that uh, you know, February, March, April, May, in that time frame. And then North Florida, probably March, April, May, June, in that time frame, is when more of these nematodes are out in the soil. You know, now, if you're on a, a putting green, and uh, again, you also got to think about when your roots are growing, because ideally you want to protect new growing roots, right? And so uh, I would try to have my nematicide out when my roots are actively growing, okay? And so, uh, and a lot of times you'll find these roots are growing before the grasses even start screening up above ground. And so watch those roots. And when you see your, you, you start seeing some new roots, start to, uh, new white roots tacking down, uh, that would be your optimum time when you're trying to control those lance nematodes and get the chemical out. So as the new roots are growing, they're growing into a relatively nematode uh, free or less nematode uh, environment. No, that's good. I, let me just follow up on that one, one more uh, one note there. So potentially in Florida, if someone were to consider a curfew application to both to impact both lance and sting in the soil solution in, in the root zone when they are most predominant, might that be may june or april may june or some yeah the april may june time frame excellent okay the further south you are the earlier and then you follow me uh yep. so yep, yep. I, I there's about a month lag between north florida and south florida yep. you talked about the soil temperatures and are there any kind of environmental uh phenological indicators you know like crabgrass for example we always say yeah, when the forsythia blooms it's time to put down your pre-emerge. Is there anything similar for nematode applications or nematode activity? Okay, so uh, again, depending upon the product you're using and, and how it works and, and in your target nematode, uh, you know, but I, if I, uh, like here in Florida, from everything I've seen, if, if I'm trying to control sting nematode, I would want to make sure I, I got down, if I was using indemnify, I would definitely put it down in the fall. Okay, mm -hmm. and uh, and then if my second, if I did a second application, I would do it you know in the spring. Okay, but and if you miss the fall, you still get benefit from spring. But I seem to be the biggest. If I only was only to apply this once, I would do it in the fall, you know. And mm -hmm. then my second choice would be the early early spring because that product stays around for a long time. So you could put it out in the fall, and basically now you're protecting uh, your roots and you're going into the uh, into your cooler season with a better root system and then you kind of come out of the cool season with a better root system and I see my biggest turf responses if I do a fall application is when the grass starts greening up in the spring boy you see this you know that that big turf response and and before that if you look at your roots you'll see the big root response but now if you've got products that are uh, you know like we did similar trials with curfew I mean long, long time ago, you know, 15 years ago or more, and uh, looking at timings. And 
when we did uh, fall applications with curfew, okay, basically, because that doesn't have any residuals. So by the time a couple months later, you got in, in, in nematodes are right back. We actually found even twice as many uh, sting nematodes in the spring when we did a fall application or curfew because there's products, uh, one stays around for a long time and one's just there and then gone. And so, and then as we get new chemistries along, they're going to have different properties as well. So it's all going to be a lot dependent upon how long it lasts and how often you can apply it and, and when your nematodes are active. Got it. Yeah. It sounds like you really just need to know what your problem is, know what your tools are and try to match those up as best as you can for your specific location. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that's the Thank big you. benefit to, to, to sampling. I mean, again, I know people get, uh, I think sometimes too caught up in, in nematode sampling, especially when it comes to following numbers and, you know, last May I had 200 and this May I've got 100 or I got, you know, 200 last month and now I got 300. And, okay. But where you see that big benefits from sampling is just knowing what you're dealing with so you can build your program to what you're actually uh, dealing with. And then monitoring, okay, because now if I've got, you know, sting nematodes and, and root knot nematodes and now I put treatments down, I got control of my sting nematodes, now my f- focus shifts to the, the root knot nematodes or... Uh, but keep monitoring those sting nematodes. Okay, now they're going to start, you know, they're going to start coming back. So now I need to put something back for them again. So, you know, uh, that's where you need to uh, you know, use your sampling is more at uh, a monitoring to know, you know, making sure everything is still. I know what I'm I'm targeting my program for. So since you're talking about sampling, can you mention a little bit of the work you do at your your laboratory there in Gainesville and your the the different uh, analyses that you offer? Okay, so uh, yeah, our lab, uh, you know, we're here at the University of Florida Nematode Assay Lab, uh, and uh, we uh, do a. a uh, mostly turf grass samples. Uh, I think about 95% of the samples come through our lab are, are turf samples, and we generally get about 7,000 a year or so. Uh, of course, Florida is our main place we get from. Uh, then I think the second biggest state we get from is Texas, and uh, then we get uh, a number from you know the Carolinas, from California. Uh, uh, Hawaii, we get them from all over the place. The, we cannot get samples from Washington, Oregon, Nevada, Idaho, or Colorado. And uh, those states uh, have a, uh, a type of root knot nematode that uh, we have a regulatory ban in effect. So we, we can't, uh, they don't want that bring that nematode in Florida. So we're, we, we can't uh, receive samples from those five states. But the other uh, 40, we don't have Alaska on our list either, but I don't think anybody's worried about nematodes in Alaska. But uh, so the other, <laughs> uh, the other uh, 44 states uh, we get samples from. Of course, our normal uh, uh, process is, is soil extraction, uh, where we get uh, extract nematodes from soil, and we uh, that's uh, you know gets kind of cross the section about most of the nematodes. Uh, now we have found that that is a not very accurate for this uh, grass root knot nematode we have here in Florida, where uh, we get a lot better recovery doing a a mist extraction from root systems. And so 
Uh, we have uh, mist chambers uh, here at, at you know where we uh, take turf plugs and put these in the mist chamber, and then as the uh, uh, the root knot nematode eggs hatch, the young nematode comes out and crawls across the filter and goes into a flask. And we get a lot more accurate diagnosis on root knot nematodes with this technique. So uh, now that's a separate diagnostic procedure from the soil extraction. Uh, we're also in the process with this big uh, lance nematode experiment I was telling you about. We're also looking at comparing the uh, soil and mist extractions for lance nematodes. And uh, one of the things that we're finding, again, is that we get a lot higher recovery from the, the mist extraction in those, uh, you know, the summer, fall, it, whereas in the spring and early summer, we get higher recovery from the soil, from the, mist, uh, from the uh, soil extraction. So we're still kind of working on this lance nematode thing, but uh, for a root knot, uh, the, the mist uh, gives uh, uh, that nematode a lot better. And uh, even from samples up north, we'll actually get uh, lesion nematodes, which you don't find as much from soil counts and some of the other ones. So uh, each extraction technique kind of gives a different picture of what your nematodes are. And so uh, now I say root knot nematodes that the uh, mist extraction is, is usually better. Uh, you yeah, know, but every once in a while you'll get, uh, you know, a big flush of eggs and they'll you actually get a lot from the soil too. So, uh, but those are two, two services we offer. Uh, and then, uh, we also have some other uh, services which are more research oriented. We actually do uh, species identification when needed, but for most golf course things, that's not a, uh, something you guys really care about, but we do that a lot more for researchers and things. We'll help them identify particular species and things like that as well. Excellent. We know that our our uh, customers and users in Florida, the Southeast, and Texas really value your service and utilize both the soil and the mist extraction. So we, we appreciate your role in helping provide our, our customers with, with counts and uh, managing their, their populations. Mm -hmm. so. I will say that the mist extraction, if you're in a hurry, it takes a little bit longer. <laughs> uh, and, and, and so uh, basically, because they have to sit in the mist chamber for three days. And so we're setting those up on Tuesdays and Fridays, basically. And so if a sample comes in on Wednesday, it's not going to go in until Friday. And then we won't, they won't come down till the following Monday. So uh, whereas generally soil extraction, you're talking about a two to three day turnaround for mist extraction, you're probably about a five-day turnaround on those. Excellent. That's good to know. All right. And so we want to touch on some work we conducted with you. Uh, Two-year study, big study. Uh, you put a lot of effort into it in which we included some of the management and control techniques you discussed previously. And then we also included some different biostimulant type materials that we worked with in the past and we were very curious to see how they may or may not provide value in a nematode turf management program here here in the south and so uh it was really in, really informative and if you could touch on on some of those results uh okay. i think the, the listeners might find that very interesting Okay, so in that uh, uh, trial, again, this is really an, an interesting uh, experiment, and I appreciate Harold's uh, working with us on this. And uh, but uh, so we had uh, 
a uh, four treatments in this experiment. Okay, so we had untreated controls, which all they all those got was uh, you know, Harold's fleet wetting agent, but no uh, no nematicides uh, on on those or other treatments. Then we had a second treatment, which was uh, Harold's root health program, which included root uh, earth max, root enhancer, and seaweed extract, and as well as the fleet wetting agent. And then we had a third treatment, which was a kind of a maximum nematicide program. So basically, that was two applications of indemnify in the spring, two applications of indemnify in the fall. And then over the summer, we had four applications of uh, uh, divinim and velista and uh, uh, what was the insecticide we had in there, Raymond? Oh, celebrant. Yeah, celebrant. And then we had the fourth treatment, which is the really the most interesting one, I guess, was we had uh, the same nematicide program along with the Harold's Root Health Program. One of the things we're looking at is uh, – if uh, and, and so we had, had a site actually had all three of these primary nematodes we've been talking about so uh, where we did this we had sting nematodes lance nematodes and root knot nematodes and uh, so we had that uh, whole suite of uh, nematodes we we're looking at there and uh, one thing i wanted to see is if the uh, the root health program how it would perform under nematode pressure and uh, then we wanted to see if, if when you apply that program in conjunction with a nematicide program, if it enhanced the benefits from the nematicide program. So uh, in this trial, we monitored uh, turf quality. We did uh, uh, turf uh, percent green cover. We, did, uh, we measured roots and we measured nematode population densities uh, using uh, both soil and mist extraction over this two year period. Some of the things we found, uh, one was that uh, from the, uh, uh, the root health program by itself, we didn't get much response. Okay, so uh, I think if you were saying, well, I'm going to you know, use this root health program to outgrow the nematodes, it really didn't work that way. But what we did find is that when we used that in conjunction with the nematode management program, so we're, when we're holding our nematodes in check, and then we use the root health program. We uh, in, increased our overall root uh, rooting throughout the study, and we often had a better uh, turf response at different times as well. So the uh, putting out the root health program uh, enhanced the turf benefits from our nematicides. So uh, that was the big uh, big thing there. Uh, we found that our uh, nematicide program uh, basically we eliminated sting nematodes okay so sting nematodes were gone after year one so uh, uh, that worked that worked really well on those and the root knot nematodes were kind of uh, a, a mixed bag now one thing we did find was that uh, our lance nematodes increased uh, the longer this thing went on in our nematicide treated plots and as i was saying uh, neither uh, fluopyran in the indemnify or abamectin uh, in the divinim work real well on, on lance nematodes. I mean, indemnify doesn't work at all, and uh, divinim is, works on it, but only in the extreme upper portion of the soil profile. So while we were enhancing roots, 
okay, we had a lot more food for those lance nematodes to feed on, and so their numbers tended to increase. But I do think that having that root health program along with the nematicide program uh, gave us overall our best results. Now, from a practical standpoint, if you're a turf manager, would you rather have no sting, high lance, and every day higher root knot <laughs> than no roots, no lance, and no root knot? Okay, so the only reason we worry about nematodes is because we want to protect root systems. So uh, having a good root system is always the number one objective. Like I said, I don't care so much about the nematode counts as I do about how my roots are performing. So, uh, but so yes, uh, I think uh, you know even though lance nematode numbers were higher with the nematicide programs, uh, controlling uh, your know, stig nematode and to some degree uh, root knot nematode was uh, beneficial. But now, you know, if I didn't have any sting nematodes, okay, and I, if I only had lance nematodes, I would say, well, you're kind of you're wasting your money putting out all these nematocytes, most likely. But uh, when, when you have uh, those sting nematodes there, you definitely want to try to uh, control those. You know, we worry about the lance nematodes, but not over, over much. <laughs> you want to focus on the fact that you have a better root system because that's your main objective. Good advice. Now, now, hopefully, hopefully we'll have some new uh, treatments in the you know, future here coming up for lance nematodes. But for right now, uh, you just kind of have to live with them. Excellent. Well, that transitions into the next topic. Uh, some new new research that you're doing. You're investigating some potentially new active ingredients. I understand maybe you you can't elaborate on some specifics, but if you want to give us a glimpse to the future of what we might expect in our industry, that, that'd be great. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm anticipating uh, having a couple uh, new active ingredients uh, coming on the market in the next couple of years. Uh, and uh, I think uh, we're gonna have some uh, tools with some uh, uh, better control on these lance nematodes and the stuff we have currently. Uh, so uh, I think it's important to have uh, a suite of uh, tools at our disposal uh, because, you know, uh, I, I, it's good. We need, I need, we need to have chemistries to rotate for one thing. Uh, and uh, another thing is because we do seem to have selective activity, uh, like the different nematicides work better on this nematode than this one. Uh, we need to have, again, different products we can kind of plug in and uh, both uh, uh, for uh, knocking populations down and then also things that may not be quite as, as you know, uh, the, the gee, wow, look at that type of reductions, but kind of help hold populations down. So you can hit with the big guns less frequently and preserve their, uh, their chemistry so you don't have resistance and things happen. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of excited about that. I think, uh, you know, uh, you'll hear about some, uh, hopefully, hopefully the gag will come off here on some of these products the next couple of years and, and there'll be some product launches and I can uh, tell you kind of what we've been seeing. But I got some things I'm really excited about. So uh, that, that's very encouraging for me. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, Jeff or Jason, any any final thoughts? Uh, ask Dr. Crow while we have him available. We know he's very busy. I just have one additional question in terms of having the different products available. Are there any resistance issues that you're aware of with nematodes today? 
Great question. Uh, not that I'm that well uh, on turf grass specifically. Uh, well, just broad, not beyond even turf grass, because if it happens in crops, it's going to be in turf grass yeah. eventually, I would guess. Well, one, well, one of the things that, okay, so like, like abamectin, for example, okay, uh, in, in your divinilm and, and other abamectin nematocytes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's fairly new being used as a nematocyte, but the act has been around for a long time. And so a lot of like, like your animal uh, uh, parasites are nematodes, okay? And so this chemistry has been used uh, in, in worm medication for animals for a long time. And, and these, a lot of these uh, uh, animal parasitic have built up resistance to abomectin. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I, I would expect that to be just a matter of time before that happens in ag. It may be happening sure. already, but I can document that. We've also seen that with mites and insects developing resistance to abomectin. Um, you know, fluopyram uh, is uh, both a nematocyte and a fungicide that's in the year indemnify. And uh, so uh, there uh, you have potential for uh, fungal resistance as well as possible nematode resistance. Again, I can't say uh, that we've proven resistance in nematodes to fluopyram. Uh, there have, in, in agriculture, been some uh, fungal uh, resistance uh, issues crop up. So again, that's why I think it's important not to overuse these things because uh, you don't want to use efficacy on nematodes or on fungi. Uh, and again, we don't know then if you're going to have resistance to that whole class of chemistries or is it going to be specific just to fluopyram or is it going to affect all SDHI chemistries? And so these are really good chemistries, so we don't want to lose them. Okay, right. and so uh, I think that's uh, wise as much as possible to use these things uh, sparingly or uh, in rotate when at all possible. Okay, well, we appreciate your time, everybody, and Dr. Crow. Yep. We know how busy you are, and so that'll do it for this edition of Turf Dudes Podcast. Again, if you have any questions, reach out to Dr. Crow, send your samples to Dr. Crow. And uh, he's a great resource. We're lucky to have him in our industry. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And this is Raymond Snyder, and we hope to see you again soon.